0: you will pray with me, I'm going to pray with you and for you, and we'll go ahead and get started. Oh, Father, thank you so much for this day, thank you for the chance that you've given us to gather together, even if it still uh, sometimes feels a little strange to be virtually gathering. God, I know that um, you're just as pleased. So I pray, Lord, that everyone is, that is here uh, would know that you brought them here for a purpose, Lord. I pray that you're not done. I pray that even now out there, wherever people are, that this uh, reaches, that if they need to be here, God, you would call them here, and I pray that hearts would be open and focused to your word. And Lord, help me to uh, preach your word and only your word, and that I wouldn't get in the way. In Jesus Christ's name, Amen. Yeah. So, welcome to the remnant. My name's is Todd, pastor here. So, it's good to see you guys. Just going to dive right in here. Today is a is a hard day for me in a lot of ways, genuinely. And the reason is I'm going to share some some of uh, some really dark moments in my life, uh, really one of the darkest moments, and that would be tough enough. The, the thing is to recognize that these dark moments in my life, or this moment in my life came from uh, my own decisions. I, I made the bed that I had to lay in, it happened seven years ago, and that's a long time, especially when you're only, you know, 22 like I am. But uh, it's a joke, 23. Anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I I had sinned seven years ago. I can still remember the dates and times. And I had sinned big time. And it's probably not, uh, I don't know, it's probably not why sometimes I wrestle with this. Because I want to be real. But it's typical that, um, I don't know if pastors, we don't feel comfortable a lot of times doing this. Because people want to think that were above that. So they have something to shoot for. Instead of shooting for Jesus, they can shoot to somebody that's more relatable. But if you're shooting for me, you're aiming way too low anyway. <clears throat> and, uh, but I had sinned big time. The kind of sin that I thought I was above. That's the funny thing too. I, had, I was very hypocritical. Uh, I, I would tell myself that, listen, I may be a lot of things, but I'm not that. Now, if you know me, and some of you that are watching are from our church and some aren't, I don't have a problem telling people. Uh, specifics. Primarily, um, I wouldn't say it's all good motive. I think there's lessons in that. I want people to know that uh, I believe in Christ and his forgiveness and his grace, but also because I'm very stubborn and I'm not afraid. But I also know and uh, that there are people, elders and leaders um, who I submit to <clears throat> at this church who, who don't think it's ever wise for me to sometimes go into specifics. So I'm only saying that so you quit wondering if I'm going to tell you specific I'm not. That's not the point of this. But it was big, and, and it doesn't matter the specifics, because one, as I said, I want to submit to our, our church leaders, but also out of respect for others involved. But it doesn't matter, because at this time, I had lost everything due to my mistake, because as I've told you guys before, sin leads to death. It does. You're going, it's going to have a cost. I lost everything. I lost my job at the time. Uh, in fact, the remnant had only existed for about a year and I was not working here full time. I wasn't doing this. I was spending forty hours easily, but I wasn't getting paid for that. And I was actually in nonprofit work, and I had lost my job. I resigned. Uh, my friends, even my church, that I had helped plant, I wasn't at my church because I had to step away for a while. And I was reeling, and I was lost, and I was grieving, and I was ashamed. And I was scared, and I felt very, very broken. And broken is one of those words that we all say, and sometimes we say it when we lose a job, or when our tire gets flat, or when we don't get the kind of pizza we want. I feel, oh, I'm broken. It's one of those words that we probably use more times than it actually means, you know, than we actually mean. But I mean that when I say broken. The kind of broken, I had a professor in college, he says, you know, when you're broken, when you're really broken, you'll always have a limp. I remember that. And here's the thing before before I came to a full repentance before I came to a real realization of my sin I had tried to hide my sin. I did. I bought into this lie that if that I could fix it better than God said I that I should fix it. I kept I literally remember having conversations with God saying, "Listen, just I know that you want me to do this, but I can do this and this will still happen." But eventually I did confess. I surrendered it to God to a lot of people. I did the best I could to be transparent. I'm being honest with you guys. I repented to those that I had hurt. I repented to friends. I repented. I went to people that I was in ministry with, that I worked for with a people that I wasn't close to. It was the most humiliating thing, but I believe that I did it not because I think God wanted to humiliate me because I think I needed to do that to truly have repentance. That any any thought of saving face had to be gone. It had to be me and him. And so I did. I got into counseling, and I tried to walk out the path. I felt God was walking me down, even though everything inside of me, and trust me, wanted to leave. In fact, I could pull my journal up from that time. I still have it. And I would, I, I would have left, except this voice in my head And I hesitate to always say God, right? Sometimes you don't know. Holy Spirit speaks to us. But they said, if you do this, what are you saying about everything you preached? If I run, what am I saying? What am I showing people about what it is to walk out repentance? So I say, God didn't let me. In the midst of all this, a few people, literally two to four, decided to remember who I was, and more importantly, who God said I was, even when I was forgetting. It's very hard to remember your name when everyone else is telling you it's something else. It's very hard to remember that you're saved and forgiven and loved when you're told that you are hated, despised, on and on. And these two to four people offered me forgiveness in relationship when I didn't deserve it and when it would cost them socially. You see, the only thing people, you've probably heard the saying, the only thing people like more than building up a hero is tearing it down. Have you ever heard that saying? And I don't care who this gets to at a time. I, I learned that human, human applause is so, is so fickle. See, there's a danger in, in letting the, the crowd make you think you're too much, and there's a danger in letting the crowd think you're too little. You have to go to God. That's what it is to have your identity in Him. You see, I was something here. I had connected, I had never wanted to be, that's part of it, it's a different story. I didn't want that, I didn't think well of myself. I would tell you that I didn't even think highly of myself, but I let their their applause make me feel good. I went to them before God, and so when the applause stopped, and not only did they stop applauding, but they started attacking. Well, who was I? And for so long I had preached the grace of God. You see, the, the verse has never changed. So too at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, and if by grace, not by works, otherwise grace ceases to be grace. That verse was picked a year earlier, and now I was faced with the reality of what is grace, really. I preached the grace of God found in Jesus Christ, but I won't lie, I wrestled night and day to believe that grace was still for me. I hated what I had done, still do. I hated that I had hurt and let down those close to me, and more than anything else, I hated myself. And during this time, I mentioned to you that uh, a couple people stood by me. And I was in a relationship. Oops, I try to be, some of you may know, and that's fine. I'm not hiding it, but I don't want to say it if it's not my story. But I was in a relationship. And a little background information is, a year earlier, this person had a close relationship with a pastor and his wife local pastor and his wife. Um, I had met them. In fact, the pastor had taken me out to lunch soon after. I would begun to, to see this person, have a relationship with this person because they wanted me to be their youth pastor. Because remember, at the time, I was still a hero. I had some theological differences at the time. Um, if you know me, I like to ask questions. The person didn't like that. And, uh, but anyway, time went on. And after all this happened, a month later, a, met, a letter was sent to to this person, so this is seven years. I've kept this in my email, and sometimes I, sometimes I read it. And uh, in fact, a couple months ago, before I knew this was going to happen, I knew God was going to make me do this. You could ask Tim; he remembers when I texted him. But big long letter here, front and back. I'm going to read you guys some stuff because this letter was written to this person to warn them about me and to tell them why they should stay away from me. This is a pastor, his wife. They use scripture. They, I'm not going to read it all. I don't think that's fair to anyone, but it says, so and so, I write this letter because I love you. My heart grieves for you. It's jealous with, for you with a longing. They quote 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 4. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Quoting Paul, I promised you... Dot, 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 to him... Jesus. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, regardless, it says, this person then goes on to say, regardless of any friendship, anything between you and Todd, This is a quote, It is apparent to me that based on your own words and the testimony of those who have heard the teachings from the remnant, I can say assuredly that you have been taught a gross misinterpretation of Scripture. Goes on and says some things about, I'll just skip. I know you've been taught the gospel of grace, which is at work in all of us. What's been lacking is that grace and truth, all caps, come through Jesus Christ. Since you've been given a full measure of grace, let me add the full measure of truth to your specific situation. In our 25 years in ministry, we have sadly seen many moral failings. Some have been nationally known preachers and others have been personal pastoral friends. And in all cases, the few that have tried to return to ministry have never, all caps, been as successful as they were prior to their fall. Many, yourself included, have used David as an example of a man fully restored Sadly, that was not the case, they say, with David, that he was not restored. They go on to mention everything that happened after the consequences of David's sin. Interesting that consequences are related to restoration. But let's, child Bathsheba bore from adultery died. Israel was constantly at war for the rest of David's life. His family fell apart. Uh, David's greatest desire in life to build a temple for the Lord was denied him. The author of this letter says, You may say, but, quote, God has called him a man after his own heart, and you are correct. However, many people fail to discover why God said that about him. When confronted with the crude reality of his sin, he made no attempt to cover it up. And they try. they quote Second Samuel. And he became a man of constant repentance and sorrow before the Lord. Isn't it interesting that typically the only time people quote the phrase, a man after God's own heart, is when they've committed an egregious sin and want to console their own heart. However, biblically and practically, there is no evidence that full ministerial restor- restoration is possible. Simply put, if you stay with Todd, you will be hitching yourself to a broken wagon. Todd cannot take you to the places God has intended for you spiritually. And then he goes on and closes the letter with 2 Corinthians 11, 12, and 15. Paul's words to a church in Corinth. And I keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us than the things they boast about, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. These words echoed in my head like nails in a coffin. Serpent. Gross misinterpretation of the gospel in all cases, have never been as successful. Sadly, there isn't, this is not the case with David. No evidence, full ministerial restoration is possible. Todd cannot take you anywhere good. A false apostle, a deceitful worker, masquerading as an apostle of Christ, and of course the implication, Satan's servant. If you stay with Todd, you will be hitching yourself to a broken wagon. Broken wagon. This is a pastor's wife. Pastor, they both, they said hour. they wrote it together, right? We know that. I could read note after note in the pages from my journal about the thoughts I had after reading this. In fact, a month and a half ago, I reached out to my brother because I still sometimes struggle with the echoes of these words. My self-hatred reached new heights after this. As I looked for this email, I found emails that I'd sent after to people. Saying I was confused, asking if I was a false apostle, asking if I was these things, because I if I was, I wanted to not be. Maybe I wasn't saved. I was a broken cart. What's a broken cart useful for? The hope of grace and forgiveness was crushed under the weight of these words. I was a broken wagon. I was a broken cart. What is that? Useless. Irreparable what do you do with broken carts? Well, look at the picture. You let them rust. They stay where they're at and they rust. I could go on for quite a while about my journey through this. It felt like a heavy fog. I couldn't escape and sometimes I still see the fog. I'm not going to lie to you. I remember feeling quite a bit of anger in the midst of my pain, but it was quieter, right? I was hurting so bad. And, And the thing about if you've ever messed up in your life, and truly been uh, repentant, you felt bad, you want to make up for it, right? You want, you want to. So my focus was trying to do that. I was angry, but not for myself. And real, uh, Eventually I realized I believed and still do sometimes that I deserved what I got. I do, even as I read those words to you. Sometimes I still believe that. But as I've told you many times, remnant folk, and if you've visited the last few weeks, I can't let even my own voice or feelings trump the word of God. And I realized that wasn't angry for me, but for the fact that if this kind of thing is said to me, how many other people have felt like a broken wagon, a broken cart? How many of you out there have felt condemned and beyond hope and outside God's grace and mercy? How many of you even today pretend and smile but you think you're just faking it because you can't come to Him. He wants nothing to do with you. You're broken. That's why you can't be loved because how could someone love something broken, right? They're just hitching themselves to a broken cart. I was angry that the Scripture, whether intentionally or not, and I don't know the heart of this person. I don't mean to shame them. Sometimes we unintentionally do this. But scripture was twisted to paint the gospel and God as someone he isn't. And I was angry that God's word, when I had become healed later on, even though something inside of me at the moment was very quiet, quietly telling me this, the Holy Spirit, it took a long time for me to to be confident enough to say it. See, God's word was taken out of context. I was angry that this idea of condemnation, of a sin that forever ruins us, that forever stops the plans God has for us or could have had for us, this idea of condemnation. This—it's never about me or my story or even my worthiness. That's not why it angers me. It's because it robs the gospel of its power and makes Jesus' sacrifice weak and powerless. It's wrong, and let me say this to anyone listening: whether you are one of those that thinks this way or whether you have felt this way, it's wrong, and the Father is not happy. I hear the words Jesus says to the Pharisees, echo in my ears, you brood of vipers, you put weights on people's back, but don't lift a finger to help them move them. So many of you feel this way. I know it. You feel like broken carts. That's why you don't want to do anything for the kingdom, because how could you? Right? I don't know what you did, or the church doesn't. God doesn't know what you did. He couldn't use you because if God knew, He would never use you again. And then someone, maybe you find hope in the story of David, a man who made some big mistakes and whom God used. And if nothing else, maybe he didn't build a temple, but he certainly helped build a church because today we still preach his words and psalms that were written after his sin. Broken carts. Many of you think you've gone too far and that God is done with you. You think you're so far gone and believe so wholeheartedly that God's done with you that you run from him. So many of you have messed up and even now are in the midst of sin, trapped, and instead of feeling free to confess to your brothers and sisters and more importantly to God so you can feel free and be out of the trap, you hide because you don't want them to call you what you already feel like, a broken wagon, a broken cart. Let me tell you about broken carts today. I want to tell you about three broken carts if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. It's in the midst of Jesus' preaching, we get an odd story where he sort of just walks off away from his disciples at the end of chapter 7, and in chapter 8, we get this, at dawn he, Jesus, went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? They asked us to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. It's unfortunate that this verse has been twisted to justify sin. Many times it is. It's used to say, hey, you can't judge me, don't throw a stone. Right? That's not the point of this verse at all. They missed the point. The point is this woman did sin. This woman was wrong. This woman made a mistake. In fact, for her to be brought forward like that means she was caught in the act. And before you feel sorry for her, make sure you feel sorry for her, the wife of the man she cheated with. Or maybe her husband. Do you feel sorry for them? Because there were people that were hurt. There were people that this injured. Kids, maybe. We don't know. Here's what we do know. She was guilty. She was a broken cart. In fact, the law of Moses at the time had said, stone her. Kill her. She's worthless. We don't know what Jesus wrote on the ground. But we know that he said, and he turned it back on them. Let me say it a different way. Who among you does not have a sin that you're ashamed of? Let him be the one to throw. How many of you have secrets that if the world found out, you might want to be stoned? Or they might want to stone you. And what did Jesus say to this broken cart? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. Go on from now on, do not sin anymore. Isn't it interesting that I would say to this person now, Todd now would have said to this person a different thing than he said then because I was so weak. I was so hurt and broken. I couldn't, I couldn't hear truth. But I would say to them, you can't justify, no more than I can justify sinful behavior by taking the story and twisting it and saying, hey, nobody can call out anyone. You can't use the consequences of David's sin to mean that restoration is impossible. It's comparing apples to oranges. It's a completely different situation. I had lived in the consequences of my sin. Let me tell you, there were consequences then and there are consequences now. Who knows? Where the church that I, he allowed me to be a part of would be, had I not made my mistake. I don't know. But I do know this. You're watching this right now. As I continue on, I want to tell you about broken cards. Is. It's very important, although I shouldn't have to say it, but for the people out there, typically, the people out there that might think this, I'm not glorifying sin. Sin is horrible. I f- In fact, everyone knows this. If you want to know why I'm so passionate, the guys that I'm close with know, don't they? They can nod their heads in the room how hard I pushed them. Don't do what I did. Because I don't want them to hurt. I don't want them to be broken. I don't want them to to be told they're irreparably broken. Because sometimes I think if it's funny, I often wonder if I wasn't as stubborn as I am, which is bad at times, if I wasn't as stubborn, would I, I may have killed myself because the lies had become so loud that I couldn't hear truth anymore. I was very stubborn though, even pre-Jesus. Jesus saw this woman this broken car and He didn't throw her in the trash. He didn't say we have no use for her anymore. In fact, He said the opposite. He said, go on. Just don't sin anymore. Did he remind her how bad she was? Did he make sure she knew, now you can leave and don't sin, but remember you're scum. Remember that you're only saved because today I felt like it. No. In fact, the sin was secondary to the grace, wasn't it? He said, then neither do I condemn you. I want to tell you, there isn't a verse here, you can look it up yourself. I want to tell you about another verse broken card. His name was David. The interesting thing about the story of David that she shared, I love that it was a mistake, right? If you talk to Todd today, this is not the story to pick a fight with me with because I've studied it. I was also texted during this time and told to read the story, and I was so desperate for someone to speak into my heart that anybody could text me and say, read this. So I did. I read the story in Samuel, and they said, who are you? And I was like, I don't know. Who are you in the story? I don't know. The implication was I was Saul, that I was Saul. Now, some of you go, well maybe, well, maybe they meant you. No, well, here's the implication of saying that I'm Saul. See, the Holy Spirit left Saul. The Holy Spirit left him. He was no longer God's anointed. See, that was before Jesus. It wasn't sealed. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's sealed in me. So when you tell me that the Holy Spirit isn't in me anymore, you're not, a, you're not attacking me. You're attacking Christ. You're not calling me a liar. You're calling him a liar let me tell you about David, because interestingly, they completely lied to you. Whether this person that wrote the letter to me was, just didn't know the story and spoke Christianese or they mistaken, but this person said, well, understand, when confronted with their sin, David repented in sorrow. No, he didn't. The first thing David did after he committed adultery with a woman was try to get the husband to go sleep with the wife that night so that it could look like, oh, it must be your baby, not mine. He did that over and over. Then he got him drunk and said, well, if he's drunk, maybe he'll go sleep with his wife because he's a soldier. He's supposed to be at war. He wouldn't do it. So then David panicked, and David did something to cover his sin that's so horrible that maybe if you think of him as a person, you'll stop going, ah, and you'll realize the radical nature of God's heart because David then told his generals, send this man, Uriah, the husband to the wife that I committed adultery with, he had no wrong. And in fact, we know from what we, we see about Uriah is that he was a good man. I want you to put him in the heat of the battle at the front, and when things get the worst, I want you to pull everyone back so he will be killed. He murdered this man. He didn't confess. He didn't repent right away. Well, Todd he wasn't confronted with his sin? Yes, he was. If he didn't know it was a sin, he wouldn't have tried to hide it. David did repent. And there is a moment that separates David from Saul, but it is not the nature of their sin. It is the nature of their repentance. David came to a place later when the prophet came to him, Nathan, and said, You've done this. And that wasn't the only sin David did. He disobeyed God again when it came to a census. It may seem small to you, but if God says to you, Go into that room, and you say, No, I don't want to, you're still disobeying. It was a process. And God worked on David. And there was a moment when David saw his sin for what it was, and you were absolutely right, person who wrote this letter, he repented. And you are absolutely right that his life was destroyed by his sinful, that there were consequences to his sin. But let me tell you something that lets everyone here know, in case this story is ever used against you again, that David was not a broken cart, that God was not done with him, just like he's not done with you if you've made a mistake, is that David was still king. Why does that matter? Because it matters because God's people, David was put in charge of God's chosen people, God doesn't put a broken wagon in charge of something he loves. God doesn't put, you don't put your child in a broken down car that doesn't work without brakes when you drive to the store, do you? You know why? Because you need something safe, you need something reliable, something you trust, and God still trusted David. People are so afraid if they look at these stories for what they really are, what that's going to mean. If people know that David was, was forgiven and that David, yes, he had consequences, but he stayed, he stayed king. Well, if they do that, everyone's going to go crazy and you're all going to commit adultery with each other and you're going to steal and rob banks. I have to make you scared that God might leave so that you will always do the right thing. Here's the problem. You're not following God then. You're following man. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit transforms. Do you want to know why I'm not afraid to tell you that God's grace covers all? Because those in the room with ears to hear, as Jesus said, will hear it. You won't go do those things because you can't. And even if you do, you'll come back because Jesus made a promise to you. He said, I will never let you go. Even when you're trying to run away, people take a story like David's. Years, thousands of years of people looking towards him as a man. And and because our human brains can't fathom how a good man could do something that bad, they try to minimize his bad so that he still stays good. That way they can use him to, what, condemn the rest of us? There is a lesson in the consequences of David's sin. But brothers and sisters, hear me. There is an even more beautiful lesson in the restoration and grace and forgiveness of King David. How do I know? Because read the Psalms that we say to each other today. How many of you have been consoled? How many of your pain? How many of you have felt like David was speaking for you as he cried out to God for mercy? I'll tell you another broken cart. His name is Simon. Jesus gave him a different name. He called him Peter, the rock. He was he certainly didn't act like a rock. He did not act sturdy. I could tell you countless times that Simon Peter was an idiot, for lack of a better word, right? At least using um, hindsight. See, that's it. We go, "Ah, man, I would never do what Peter did. Yes, you would. You still do. (laughs) Because you have the benefit of all the things that happened after. You knew what happened, right? Peter was just following him then. Peter argued with Jesus. Peter was hot-headed. Peter fought when Jesus said to love. And then the worst part of all is in the moment of Christ's greatest need, when he needed one person to stand beside him. Peter denied him three times. Not once, not twice, three times. Oh, yeah, that sounds cute. That's because you're Christianese. You don't understand. How about you in your worst moment? You need someone. You're looking for someone to say they still see you, love you, know you, and the person goes, I don't know you. After everything you've done for them. Peter went back to fishing after that, after Jesus died. His hopes of being anything more than a fisherman were squashed and crushed. He was back to being what he was before. You see, here's the thing, too, people don't often tell you. If he, Peter was a fisherman, any good Jewish man with any uh, skill would have been in the temple, would be learning. They take the best of the best. You understand that? They become rabbis and all these other things. Peter was fishing. He wasn't anything, he wasn't useful, he was a broken cart. the jewish culture he already was he went back to being that until jesus showed up after his resurrection and what did jesus do most beautiful story in the world and some of you probably have never been told this how many times did peter deny him? three how many times did jesus ask him do you love me three how many times did jesus give him his role again and remind him who he was feed my sheep do you get what that was it's a reminder of I don't care who you think you are. I tell you who you are. You're not a broken cart, not because you don't feel like a one, but because I say you're not. You are the rock on which I will build my church. Remember that? And I want to take a second too. I'll come to that. What can we take from this? I know we're running a little late because we ran long. I, some of you are uh, that hear this, You think you know it. And I guess I will say what Jesus said. For those who have ears to hear this, let them listen. Because if you're hearing this, it's because you need to. Because you probably feel like a broken cart. A broken wagon. What do we take from this? I want to leave you with some things, my friends. That I've learned over my years. That even when I cry and have to reach out to my friends to remind me of who I am. I've learned some things. What have I learned? The first thing I've learned is Jesus heals the broken. He says it himself. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah prophesies what Jesus himself said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted. Right? I have come to heal the brokenhearted, to set free the captives. He's in the making of fixing broken carts, because at the end of the day, without Christ, we're all a broken wagon. Jesus heals the broken. Don't let anyone make you believe that you have to pretend to be more than you aren't so that Jesus will love you. Because Jesus loves you for who you are. Because He knows who you will be. The second thing, you're not going to have them. I know Sue's like, where's my list? You can't see it anyway, so just listen. You can't. This is the one that makes me unpopular with some pastors. I don't care. As you can tell, I'm probably not popular with them anyway. You cannot out grace. You cannot out grace until you can give me an argument that refutes Romans 6, 7, and 8 in the very Word of God where Paul himself says, so what then? Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. You don't like it? Take it up with Jesus because you're going to have to anyway someday. You can't out-sin grace. Why is this so important to me? People think, do you want to know why this person said I had a gross misinterpretation of Scripture? Is because they live in a world where it's all about earning something. It's all about keeping something through my own actions that I can't keep. And all I've ever said and all I'll continue to say because I see it in Scripture is, you, aren't, you don't act holy to be holy. You act holy because you are holy. See, I would say to them, and I do, my close friends know that I I, I can't say publicly what I say to them, but I'm not the one with a gross misinterpretation of Scripture. You have a gross misinterpretation of the gospel. And you can paint a tree gold and put a beard on it and call it Jesus, but it doesn't make it Jesus. You can take whatever golden calf you want and call it Jesus, it's not Jesus. There's one gospel. And the irony of them sharing 2 Corinthians with me is not lost on me, masquerading as angels of light. The difference is I would never say that because I don't know your heart. And Jesus tells me it's not my job to know your heart. You can't out grace. Read Romans 6, 7, and 8 right now. If you don't believe me, people out there in the world, go read it. And then make an argument. Number three, in case you need to hear this and to appease the angry religious people, sin has consequences. It does. That's real. My life is a testament to that too. As much as it's a testament to the grace of God, it is a testament to the consequences of sin. This person that wrote the letter was right about one thing. Jesus comes in grace and truth. If you take either one of those away, you don't have the gospel. You don't need a Savior if you never sin, do you? Sin has consequences. Listen, if you're a note taker, this is huge. Sin has consequences, but Jesus turning his back on you isn't one of them. Sin has consequences, but Jesus turning his back on you or no longer having a use for you isn't one of them. Because here's one of the biggest secrets I can tell you, and I typically, you know, a lot of people won't say this because they're afraid. They don't trust the Holy Spirit in you guys. They don't. They do not. They believe that you're a bunch of monsters. And if they don't scare you, you're going to run crazy. I believe you have the Holy Spirit in you if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't need me to tell you this. But I, God constantly uses screwballs. Okay? That's what He does. And I think He does it because those are the people that regardless of their flaws, know they're flawed and know and rely on a good God. The most beautiful thing in the world is a person serving when they don't feel equipped because they believe their God will equip them. It's a beautiful thing. Number four, this is important, and one that I struggled with for a long time. I thought I knew. Don't let anyone speak louder than Jesus. Do not let anyone in your life, don't let me, if you go to the remnant, speak louder than Jesus. Now here's the thing. Make sure that the Jesus that you're letting speak loud is the Jesus of the Bible, not one that you create. Because some people do that. See, I can appreciate the heart behind some of that letter. Now, the problem is they'd never spoken to me. They never asked me. They never saw where I was at. A lot of people wanted to tell me who I was, but no one ever came and asked me my name. It was a very interesting time. But there are people out there, even now watching this, you, you think that you, know, you can do whatever you want, and that's not the heart of God either. The reason I always wanted to tell my story and wise people in this church, I trust them. Everybody thinks, by the way, that I'm like an emperor here. I'm not uh, because I don't do nearly what I want to do, probably to the benefit of this church. Um, But the reason is because, I don't know, I don't hide from what I am because I think it's a testimony to the grace of God. Because you want to know something crazy? (laughs) And I, I felt, I struggled with saying this because I didn't know whether it would be bragging, but it's not me. I'm a screwball. But this, but you'll never be what you were. When I had my great fall, we, we celebrated when we had 30 people in our church. And we were in an old, torn up building that didn't belong to us. We had a hundred and I don't know how many people. Anyone remember? A lot. We had a hundred and many people. God gave us a building Miraculously. I don't know why. I have a, it's a crazy story. If you want to know, come to the rim and I'll tell you about it someday. But ask anyone. It's a miracle. We shouldn't have this building. We had five, over 500 people come to the first event we ever did where we did a, uh, a Halloween thing last year. Those of you who are here, 500 people. We baptized. We baptized by the grace of God probably at least 10 people every single year that we do our baptism service. Nobody tells God who he can use and what he can do. And yeah, I still have days... Where I, I feel like Paul when I say, and of sinners, I am the greatest of these. I am. I've done a lot of bad things. But I'm so thankful that I serve a very good God. And I'm very thankful that I'm not who I was today. Today I'm not who I was then, and I hope tomorrow I won't be who I am today. As he continually pulls me, right? As Paul says, I strain toward the prize, forgetting what's in the past. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the hurts that you felt. I don't know the lies you've lived under for years and years and years. The most, I would never wish what I went through on anyone as far as the loneliness and the hate and those kinds of things. And I'm not, I'm not a martyr, okay? I guess I need to say this. I certainly sinned and I deserved, I deserved far worse. Scripture says I deserve death, right? For sinning. So I'm very thankful. So let me preface that. But when I, and I don't feel sorry for myself, but when I think of this happening to someone else, it's, I want you to know, like, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but here's the thing I learned. That at the end of the day, when Jesus says things like, you, um, you, know, <clears throat> you have to die to self, pick up your cross daily, you know, build your foundation on solid ground, that that means something. Because I know many of you can't imagine a world where the people closest to you turn on you. And I pray you never have to face that day, It can happen. And who are you when the world says that you're a broken wagon? Who are you when the world says you're a broken cart? Are you who they say you are? Or are you who God says you are? I pray that you know that today. I pray that you know you're not ruined. I pray you know you haven't went too far. I pray no matter the mistakes you've made in the past, maybe what you're wrestling in, or even the things you're wrestling with now or in the future, I want you to hear me that God's grace covers it all, that if you put your faith in Christ, that when he grabbed you and held you and saved you, when he took your place on the cross, it wasn't just for the things you did before you came to know him, it was for then, now, and forever. Because Romans 8.1 is a promise that I cling to every day. To this day, and I say it to you now, there is no condemnation in Christ. And as Roman, Romans 8, chapter, or verse 2 says, because the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. I am free, and you are free in Jesus. If you don't know who Jesus is, then that is scary. Because without Jesus, I would have been facing the consequences of my actions. And so will you. The Gospel is really simple. Everyone's a broken cart without Jesus until He fixes us. That when we sin, we've separated ourselves from God and we can't know God. That's why we feel shame and fear and worry and why we numb ourselves with drugs and alcohol and sex and all those things. It's because at the end of the day, you have been living your life looking for something to fill the hole that only he can fill. That's the truth. You can't bridge the gap to God, so God bridges the gap for you. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, God himself came down in the form of a man. Fully, fully man so he could understand and empathize and be what we need. He lived a perfect life, told us what it was like in the kingdom, told us who we really are, and he died on the cross to pay our price and our wages. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. He paid those wages once and for all so that we never have to. And on the cross, a divine transaction takes place if you'll let it. If you will come to him, admit your need for him, Put your faith in him. He will take your sins and he will give you his holiness forever. And you will be with him in paradise. And he will change you from a broken wagon into who you were meant to be. And no one can change that. The Bible says very clearly in case some other person lies to you in Romans, I believe chapter 10. But if not, oh, don't get mad. Somewhere in there, go look. Right? Maybe nine. Confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead. You will be saved. That's it. You can do that right now from wherever you're at. Bathroom, car, I don't know, Walmart. Wherever you want to do it, do it. Because tomorrow's not promised. Don't let anyone tell you you're not worthy when Jesus has already showed how worthy you are to him by what he did on the cross. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you that no matter how we feel, that you tell us who we are. Thank you for the truth of your word that never changes, and even if people twist it, that if we'll trust it and believe in it and put our faith in it, that, Lord, you will always lead us home. And thank you that you take broken carts and do beautiful things. Lord, I pray for everyone out there that they would know that once they put their faith in you, that we're not broken carts, that we're not worthless, we're not useless, that even those that haven't put their faith in you, that think they're worthless and useless, that you love them, you see them, and you want to restore them. God, that's what you do. Father, I pray for those right now who feel like you could never use them, that their dreams and hopes, the things they wanted to do for the kingdom and for others, that they think they're not worthy of now, that you remind them that their worthiness was never based on them but on you. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us, Jesus. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.